right, we're back in. Screen Heat Miami. Man, we had a week end. Absolutely. Did we? Week. The end. Oof. Friday, Saturday was bananas in Miami. Part of the Bitcoin 21 conference in Wynwood. Over 20 interviews. Yes. I'm surprised I can even talk. We packed them in, but we are talking. JL Martinez is talking. So is Kevin Sharpley. This is Screen Heat Miami brought to you by Kajik Multimedia, the Miami Media and Film Market, Chemical, and Cinevision. So let's dive into it. Yes. Let's dive into it like Bitcoin is diving. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. But, you know, like... Everything that goes up must come down, but then maybe it comes back up again. Let's see. But uh, one person that was up and very excited that we got a chance to speak with him is our guest today. Like you said, we got a bunch of interviews, but this one is really special. Uh, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. Yes. A.K.A. Mr. Wonderful was our guest. Man, it was something. I didn't know that Kevin O'Leary was half Irish and half Lebanese. Yeah, and Canadian. Well, we knew it was a Canuck. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I mentioned in the interview my great great grandfather is Irish, right? And my name is Kevin. Yeah, maybe you guys are related. <laughs> Should have asked. That. Hey, you never know. What we, we got, yeah, we got to go to Twenty Three and Me or something and it's see something. if we can get your DNA you matched go. to Kevin. I'll never do that. Either way, it was great to connect with him. Uh, such a great personality. He had so much great knowledge that he dropped in that in that interview that we had back in the media lounge. He packed it in. Yeah, he Oof. absolutely did. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. My so. brain hurt after <laughs> after that interview. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But, but he's Mister Wonderful, so you could you expect anything less? You can't. Yeah, absolutely not. And we can't expect anything less of of sort of the marquee show that at least for our audiences. I know he's been in other versions of of Shark Tank uh, up in Canada as well. But really, Shark Tank uh, created this sort of brand here in the U.S., right? You know, just like creating energy and opportunities for entrepreneurs going strong for like 12 years, right? 12 years and still going strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's an incredible run that show has had and sparked not only so many new entrepreneurs and ideas, but, you know, just like this whole idea that you know, you can make it here. You can make it anywhere, right? Yeah, well, he's definitely made it. He's worth over four hundred million dollars. Wow! Yeah, it's a big number. So <laughs> let's see how that crypto does. Speaking <laughs> of numbers, <clears throat> yes. And I know that it wasn't purchased in Bitcoin, MGM. Oh yes, yeah. We're gonna touch on the streaming wars a little bit this episode. Uh, but yeah, this is a monster deal. Almost nine billion dollars. Amazon paid. For the vaunted Hollywood studio, MGM. Nine billion dollars. With the B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was a, a mega purchase by Amazon. Obviously, as we always said, you know, the ammunition of these streaming wars are the big IPs, right? Man, what a good choice of words. Ammunition. Yes, and that's what it is. It's an arms race for in the digital space for the streaming wars. Bond loads it up every time. Yes, obviously, they're probably their biggest or one of their most important I- IPs being James Bond and that yeah. franchise. And, that's right. And uh, we also have the Rocky franchise involved in MGM as well. You also have The Hobbit and, and a host of other ones that's really going to give a lot of clout now to Amazon. And Amazon already has a series of The Hobbit coming out. So, And that one was pricey in and of itself. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering if that was a down payment. Maybe the Lord of the Rings. MGM on layaway. Crazy. 
you know, they're talking about, yeah, the most expensive series in the history of any television format. And so that's going to be interesting to follow this trajectory of where Amazon is going in terms of their place in the streaming. But you know what? When you think about it, that's really a small price to pay. If you think about it in Star Wars, Mm. in Star Wars thought process, because Star Wars was purchased for about $4 billion. And look how much Disney pimped that franchise out. Oh, yeah. MGM is an entire studio. And look at how much IP MGM has. Even Bond alone. I would say even the Bond franchise itself is worth a few billion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at all the things that they can do with that franchise. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, Bond television series or episodic series. I hope they don't go this far and do a Bond cartoon. No, I, yeah, but they yeah. very well may do that. Yeah, look, and like you said, now, now so much of, and like you see, if you follow what Disney Plus has been doing with Marvel and these sort of interesting spinoff series, almost creating, you know, they could almost create a James Bond cinematic universe if they wanted to, right? I bet they do, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I bet they do, and that's just one property. That's just one, yeah. one property. And then, like you said, you can what they can do with all these other franchises deep in those MGM bolts. Uh, you know, it's it's really kind of like mining for gold, almost like the mining of Bitcoin. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But, uh, not everybody's happy about it. You know, there was an interesting article recently, an op-ed by John Logan, who's the Oscar-nominated screenwriter that worked on a couple of the Bond films, including Spectre and Skyfall, who wasn't very happy. Uh, he believes that this is not a good move, particularly for the Bond franchise, because... Uh, as he describes it, you know, a mega corporation uh, like Amazon, which he thinks, I guess, is all about the bottom line, uh, is going to start to put their creative hands more firmly on the Bond franchise, sort of limiting its creativity. Yeah, but you know what I have to say about that? Amazon has been pretty hands off in terms of creativity. I mean, they were one of the first streamers to win an Oscar right? and nominations. And so when it comes to creatives out of Many, many of the streamers that are coupled with corporations or anchored by corporations, we'll talk about the Warner Media, um, AT&T purchase, right, or right. discharge um, after the jump. Right. But uh, you know, Amazon has been really good for creators. Oh, absolutely, they've, they've given them the space. So I, I don't know if this is unfounded, right. but um, I can imagine that. Um, you know, it's going to be pretty hands off. I've been watching the Underground Railroad by our very own 305-er, Barry Jenkins. Yes, sir. And it is uh, a creative masterpiece. Oh, it is. You know, and, and artistically, you know, you, you can feel that that was more of a hands-off approach. Mm-hmm. And shameless Screen Heat Miami plug, you can listen to our interview with Lucius Bastone. He plays prideful and he does such a tremendous job there in, in the Underground Railroad. Yeah. So, yeah, he absolutely does. And it's, it's, it is a great series. And, you know, Amazon, to their credit so far, has shown that they're willing to push creative envelopes. And you, you, you've seen sort of, like you said, the, the Oscar nominations, the Emmy wins, the Golden Globes, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, you know, and you had the Man in the High Castle as well, which did yeah. very well critically. And so... You know, so far we haven't seen much evidence of this sort of creative tampering that Logan was suggesting. But you know, maybe the idea is that once 
you hit uh, a certain critical mass, right? Once Amazon is the number one or number two to Netflix, that then is when they're going to start to put their hands more firmly on the creative side of things. But again, that's speculation at this point. Well, you know, maybe it is going to be hands off and hands on to the next CEO because Jeff Bezos is handing the reins over and he's going to space. He's leaving Earth. <laughs> so maybe when he's in space, things have changed immediately. Okay, Jeff is in space. He's in space now. He can't hear us. Maybe that'll be the next Amazon series. Jeff, billionaires in space. There you I go. bet they do it. I bet they do it. Well, I'm hoping that they're going to film a lot of content out of that. That's a yeah, great docu- docu-series right there. Yeah. Just, you know, seeing your, your former CEO and chairman just kind of like get in a rocket ship and just leave the world. <laughs> yeah, he's taking the first flight. I mean, yeah. now, if that is not a leap of faith. Right. Man. Yeah. Now, yeah. If, if I could purchase stock, I do have Amazon stock, but if I could um, purchase stock in Blue Origin. Origin. Yeah. I would do it. I have I have stock in um, Virgin Galactic. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's it seems terrible. Like, it's 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 a fight of the, the billionaires. Past, right. The past three months. <laughs> if they want right. their their flight to get out to space, right. Hopefully their stock doesn't drag that rocket down. Absolutely. It's not. been doing better over the last you know couple of weeks. Right. But you know this this is another kind of you know for any of the other space entities. That, that are heading out, this is another gut punch. Absolutely. Because when you're CEO, I know Richard Branson, if everything was, was ready, he would. he's an adventurer. He would get on that first Virgin Galactic fight, flight, and he said he, he, he will if they, if they get the rocket off the ground. Yeah, then the final question, do you think Elon will, will eventually make it to Mars? Well, I think by the time they have that flight to Mars, you know he's working on you know uploading your, your whole entity into, right. in, into the ether sphere. So absolutely. And I'm sure he'll be older. <laughs> the Bitcoin so. bulls are, are rooting for that to happen sooner rather than later. Maybe we can get him off of Twitter for a couple of days. But uh, yeah, I think I, I'm so excited to get into this amazing interview with the one and only Mr. Wonderful. So let's uh, let's listen to Kevin O'Leary and we'll be back on the other side. Mr. Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. It's great to get it started off in a big way. So Thank you. A wonderful Miami morning. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing so far today? Pretty good. It's early. Um, I've got a pretty big panel today with the public miners, which are very controversial right now because of ESG and power concerns. So we want to address that. You know. Yeah. So what's going on with that? I mean, you know, there's a lot to do with the ecological impact of Bitcoin. Yes. And so the way I look at this, and we're certainly going to de- you know, talk about it, is it's both a huge problem, but also a massive opportunity. And think about it this way. I work in the world of pension funds and uh, sovereign funds. I have many investments in companies of service, that financial services arena. And when I ask them, have you allocated anything to Bitcoin, the answer is no. And it's because they ac- are actually subservient to ESG committee. So if you're running a giant pension plan, you have a committee above the asset manager that looks at every asset through the lens of is it sustainably created. And if the answer is no, you don't even have an option to buy it. It's not just Bitcoin, it's any asset. And so this concern about ESG has come to the front in the last two years. And, and, and basically what's happened is it's stopped institutions from investing in Bitcoin. And one of the reasons that Bitcoin's so volatile is that 
it's, it's owned by everybody else except the institutions. Right. Now, here's the opportunity. If we could solve this problem for institutions, if we could basically say to them, look, you do not have an issue with sustainability when Bitcoin is created because it's all being mined sustainably. Maybe it's through solar, maybe it's through wind, maybe it's through you know, hydro. And your sustainability committee checks the box on that, you can now allocate 3%, 1%, 4%, whatever it's going to be to your mandates. That is a trillion dollars worth of buying power if we could solve that problem. Every single asset owner in this room would benefit from that should it occur. It's a huge opportunity. And so that's why I'm here. I'm going to set the stage at the conference and challenge the industry, solve this problem, and you get a trillion dollars worth of buying. Right, and that's that's amazing because that helps industries build up around the Bitcoin industry, your renewables and such. But a lot of people are also talking about carbon credits as an offset. Yeah, well carbon credits is not a perfect solution because many um, sustainability communities can't audit it. In other words, they, they have a problem. If you tell them, look, I bought 50 basis points of carbon credits, I'm good. They say, show me why that works because I don't know for each coin that you own, whether it was mined with coal, was mined with electricity from other source, was it nuclear power, I have no idea. So that's not going to work for them. What they'd rather have is to simply invest in a miner that's saying every coin I mine will be done with solar or wind or hydro, and you will own those coins. So it's almost like a fair trade certificate. Yeah, I mean, the, we're, we're trying to solve it. If carbon credits could do it for some institutions, they would use it because you know there's an ETF being contemplated that would include carbon credits for every coin inside it. But that's not enough to get the institution to say, look, it's just a way of, of telling me that you've solved the carbon footprint, but I don't have any way to audit it. And that, that for, unfortunately, is not a perfect solution. So that's going to be the basis of your talk today? It's going to be one of the questions. What I did for my panel is I said, look, I'm going to go back to the institutions, sovereign funds and pension plans, and let them write the list of questions on an anonymous basis. Then I'm going to be the messenger. So don't shoot me. I'm simply going to come and ask these questions of these CEOs. And I think I've done a great job at it. We're going to have a hell of a session. And I'm going to think it's, it's really around how can I help these companies raise capital? Because the capital markets for miners has dried up immensely. It's really dried up. And, and that's a big problem. And so we need to have this open dialogue. This is the right forum to do it at. So. And if anybody can do it, you can. Well, I think we're going to have a pretty good session. <laughs> I think it's going to be amazing because, you know, now when we're talking about this sort of transition from more traditional energies, you know, whether it's coal, whether it's other oil, um, how, how do you continue the workers? How do you continue industry into the future? You know, those are the big questions I think that we're facing, especially Miami with climate change and so many things going yeah, but you know, you see smaller companies like Engine Number Nine taking on Exxon and getting a couple of board members, maybe three board members. Well, Exxon that's board. my point. ESG is not a joke. ESG is here to stay. It's become part of the corporate culture. It's become part of the mandate. It's become the, the compliance departments have to abide by it. It is a serious piece of, you know, it's just the ethos of it's changed. It used to be a fringy marketing idea. Now it's the real deal. And so th this industry has to adapt like every other industry. I'll give you an example that's very measurable. Oil 
oil companies, public oil companies, multi-billion dollar public oil companies for the last eight years have been increasing their cash flows, but their price earnings ratios are getting compressed because the incremental institution is not owning their shares anymore. Because they can't, because their compliance committee said we can't own Exxon, we can't own Schlumberger, we can't own any oil company. And as a result, it's falling out of favor. It's no longer a 20% holding of the S&P. And so we don't want that to happen to Bitcoin. And so what we're going to have to do here is solve this problem. You know, there's another 80, 90, 100 years worth of mining left for that last 2 million coin. It's going to take that long. And if the price keeps appreciating, we need a healthy mining industry that's compliant. That's what the United States needs. It should lead the world in compliant green mining. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to talk about the industry, industries as a whole, and this whole push. It's not even a push towards green. It's happening across the board, the yeah. industries as a whole. Yeah. What about the look at that? And I mentioned engine number nine in Exxon. BP said that the CEO of BP said by the middle of the next decade, they're going to have 50% of their focus on renewables. They don't have an option. Their shareholders telling them they have to do that. It's not like they can decide to do something else. If they don't do that, they may not exist one day. They have to redefine. Every corporation has to pivot based on their time. Things change everywhere all the time. And if you're if you're just a ostrich with your head in the sand, you're not listening, you're gonna go out of business one day. I mean, there's going to be renewable power. It may take 20, 25 years, but you've got to make the pivot. And this is the time. This is the time. You have to start. If you're if you know you're taking your cash flow that you're making on oil and gas, and you have to reinvest it into sustainable methods of creating energy. Absolutely. I have one more question this side, because again, uh, in Miami as the sort of the unofficial financial capital of Latin America and these how important are these emerging markets in places like Latin America? Uh, we're here also with Chemical Latin Chamber, which is the largest Hispanic chamber representing Latin America. These sort of emerging markets in terms of being more sustainable and maybe being able to accelerate growth there faster than in other parts of the world. So your, your question is about growth. Right. Yeah. But particularly in the, you know, the Latin American or Ibero-American region. Yeah, I mean, I think the... the Miami is the perfect place for this in the sense that this is a melting pot of multiple cultures. I mean, the reason I live here is I'm half Lebanese, half Irish. So I'm used to living in a multicultural environment, but we have Cubans here, South Americans, French, German, Canadians, Americans. This is the melting pot of America. And there's no, there's no question that's what happened over the last two years. I mean, it, maybe it starts at the mayor. He has been very, very pro-business. Suarez has done a great job in telling the digital story, making this a very high-tech community, making it easy to do startups here. But, you know, most investors like me want two things. I want to invest in companies that understand diversification, and they understand ethics, and they understand ESG. Why do I need that? Because I have about 10,000 employees in my companies and the supply chains that service them. I want them to know that the guy that's investing cares about this stuff. Why? Because I know they care. They really, really care. It's not a joke. And if you don't have that mandate, you're not going to grow. And so Miami, because of you know what's been going on in just support of, of diversity and support of ESG and support of digitization has become the de facto new growth center of America. I don't invest in companies in California, New York, or Massachusetts for tax reasons. I invest in Texas and in Florida. 
So there's a competition going on in both those states, and they happen to have a very large Latino community. Right. Do you know why? Because Latinos are really great entrepreneurs. They always have been. It's in their culture and in their blood. And they, why shouldn't they take the lead now? They have the right environment. They got the right mayor. They got the right. You know, weather's better here, and the tax is better. And you go back and just look at how much entrepreneurial activity happens in South America. It's all entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And we have a fun podcast with great guests like yourself. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but it, it's, it's sort of, you know, this is, this is obvious to investors now. You, you know, and, and that's why I'm here in Miami. I, I look at deals all the time, and I love to invest in a place that likes business and has lower taxes and more efficient and has diversification and cares about you know, sustainability. I don't have a single investment that isn't on a sustainability mandate. Yeah, so I do have one last question. Sure. And this has to do with our podcast as a whole, because we like to at least touch on the journey of the person. Sure. And let our audience know about the person themselves. And this is a really interesting dynamic, Irish and Lebanese. Now, I held my ancestors on one side. Yeah. from Ireland way back in the day. Yeah. My great-great-grandfather. But Irish and Lebanese, how was that growing up? Can you tell us a little bit about your your well, yeah, no, I, well, I was, yeah, I was born in Montreal, Canada. Uh, my, uh, my father was an Irish immigrant. My mother was a Lebanese immigrant. They met at where they were working. Um, the Lebanese culture is very matriarchal. It's very, the woman runs the show. That's how it works. And, and so my grandmother was the matriarch of the family, and she made all the rules up for everybody. You just did what she said. That's how it works. And so I got used to being sort of, you know, led by women all the time. And my mother was very strong, and she's a great investor. But my father was a great salesman. So I, I like to look at it and say to myself, what am I? I'm just a salesman. That's what I am. But I have a great, I'm steeped in that, in that, you know, the thing about Lebanese families, Sunday night dinners are a big deal. Like if you don't show up for that dinner prepared all day long by your grandmother, you go to hell. Like, and so you don't miss that ever. There's never, never. And so that's when the family gets together, the extended family. She would spend all day cooking fantastic Lebanese food, very hard to make. And we would have wonderful times here. That's what I remember. That's, that's the basic, like the family unit is, with all the good, bad, and ugly that happens in families, if you ever miss that dinner, I, I don't, you would go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really love this because now it's really... You, you can decide what course you want to take as an investor. You don't have to invest in everything. I prefer to find entrepreneurs that have that sense of culture and family. That, and I love, I, I invest in a lot of women, because it's that matriarchal thing. Most of my returns have come from companies run by women, because they're very good at mitigating risk. And on this digital journey, I'm investing in tons of companies where women are just at the forefront of the thinking of it. I mean, there's so much going on here in, in DeFi, not just Bitcoin, of this huge expansion around all of this change of currency to a digital asset. And I think there's many, many different investment opportunities. Well, yeah, NFTs, and they've really blown up. Yeah. Non-fungible tokens. Um, I always say Beeple, $69 million, is the second richest um, um, artist in the world. Yeah, that's living and, and, artist and, that, that's and as he said, I didn't see it coming, right? He just that, that's The world is providing for a remarkable change in the way people value digital assets. You may not agree, you might agree, but that's what makes a market. Well, it is a dynamic shift, and a lot of people are calling this the fourth wave. So are you looking at it that way, or in a cyclical way, or are you just looking at it as an evolution? I'm looking at it as an evolution. I think it's a natural transition because the world is going digital, so it doesn't surprise me this is occurring. 
But the way I look at it as investors, I'm making multiple bets. I invested in Bitcoin, I invested in Ethereum. I also invested in centralized and decentralized platforms because I don't know with certainty yet which is going to work. DeFi has much less friction and cost to it than centralized platforms do. So I'm really intrigued by that. So I want to be where the puck is going. So I'm putting like four or five bets in either area. It's like being at a horse race. I don't know which jockey's going to win. I'll invest in a bunch of them. And your bets. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. This has been great. This is amazing. Yeah, thank, thank you for taking out this much. You got it. Thank you. So, Mr. O'Leary dropped it. Oh, yeah. Amazing. I mean, that was such a great get at the conference, at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, that we were just so honored to have him on the show. I mean, didn't expect that, but wow, what a great opportunity to chat with with really a business legend. Yeah, yeah. And get more into the mind of Mr. O'Leary yeah. and get an understanding of what makes him up. His family life, right? the matriarchal. Most of his CEOs are women. Right. I mean, this is this is something. Yeah, it tells us about what made the man and how he has. And he said he invested in so many female-led businesses, and that's been some of his biggest successes, right? Warmth. Warmth. Yes. From yeah. Kevin O'Leary. I mean, wow. Absolutely. It's not It's not just all numbers. There is there is an emotion <laughs> behind some of these things. And, and I'm glad that, you know, we, we got to see sort of the lighter side and, and, and the personal side of, of of what made this sort of, you know, legendary business figure. And obviously we wish him all the best in all his new ventures, particularly in this, in this crypto space now. Yes. And, um, there has been an adventure that has been unfolding for the past three and a half, four years. Hmm. AT&T's purchase of Warner media. Yes. The saga of (laughs) the WB. (laughs) That has dragged out and dragged on. And now Warner Media right. Once again, is merging with Discovery. Uh, like they just settled into their new spot and, <laughs> in, in this AT&T-verse. And now once again, they're, they've been set free, but now merging with Discovery. <laughs> creating all set free. sort of new complications within, uh, including the, a name change from Warner Media to apparently now it's Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah. it's This is just something that is science fiction in space. Yeah. WBD. <laughs> yeah. Who, who knows what's eventually, yeah, the, the streaming wars will take off into space, you know, so. But they cut two th- over 2,000 employees. Yeah. So AT&T went in there and they slashed and slashed yeah. and slashed. Right. Um, and I think what happened here is AT&T took a big corporate approach, a brick and mortars corporate approach to a, company that's a creative company and i think that that's an issue because you have to allow the creatives that space and room Mm. to breathe the company was set up a certain way for a reason right a lot of those positions were set up to allow for the creatives to inhabit those spaces and one thing that i think they could run into is whether creatives will want to create there at warner media i mean you know, you have to feel safe and secure wherever you're going to land. Right. And that safety has to do with, you know, whether you're going to have the ability to create without anvils right. over your head. Yeah. Yeah. No, it absolutely. You're you right. Remember Roadrunner? 
I do. Bugs I remember Bunny, that. Fam- famous WB cartoon. Yes, I've seen how they always bounce back from these sort of tragic accidents, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, Roadrunner would always drop an anvil on Coyote's head. Right. No yeah. matter what. That was good stuff. You don't want to be a producer. You definitely don't want to be. <laughs> the anvil is over your head. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. But uh, the anvil is once again over the head because part of this now new merger with this other sort of media legacy company in Discovery means that, once again, certain positions are crossed over. So in, in, yeah. in the name of streamlining, they're talking about potentially uh, $3 billion additional dollars in cost-saving synergies after two years. <laughs> that is that is corporate <laughs> speak for cutting jobs. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Anvils. Oh, boy. Plenty of anvils over yeah. the head, heads of plenty of people. Yeah. So we're going to see how that plays out. I mean, there's a big difference between, um, you know, reality television mm-hmm. and regular television right. or episodics you can cut and slash in reality because you know you're just filming right and then you go into the editing of course there's there's scripts and there's storylines but you know when you have real people there's a lot of shortcuts that you can take right. i know a lot of people that work for discovery and have worked for discovery right and um they are all about efficacy sure. so what yeah. I said previously, which is, you know, can some of the biggest creatives work under that type of pressure is yet to be seen. Mm. If that kind of pressure is going to be instituted. Now, AT&T maintains the controlling share of the stock. So right. it's not as if AT&T just yeah. let go. They're not completely walking away. So but they're going from, I guess, the managing entity to the owning entity. And, and just kind of, like you said, maybe taking a step back from, from show business and concentrating on 5G, 8G, whatever the next G is. Yeah. And letting Discovery uh, kind of come out as the bad guy. Absolutely. And speaking of bad guys and bad girls, uh, interesting release from Disney a couple weeks ago, Cruella. Yeah. Doing really good at the box office, but also day and date with Disney Plus as a premium offering. Yeah. I mean, this is something they have wondered for so long. And I think the pandemic really ushered this into being a lot faster, the theatrical window and what was going to happen as the theatrical window shrunk. Well, (laughs) there's no more theatrical window. Right. And I think that this is really going to be a harbinger to what is going to play out from this point on. I don't think that everything is going to be day day and date, but um, it seems like it's, being proven that you can release theatrically and still do well on on, on VOD or you can release, you know, on VOD right. and still do well theatrically or in streaming and still do well theatrically. Right. So, you know, Hollywood is all about mitigating uh, loss. Absolutely. Yes. And this is, I would say, the fourth release, the first one really was Godzilla, and Godzilla did well in the theaters, and it did well, really well on the streaming. Yeah, service. I mean that's the first one that really showed that Hollywood had a pulse theatrically again. But it has to be tested. Yeah, and so this Cruella is—I don't want to say proven the test, right. but you have the Quiet Place, the which sequel. also was a yeah. day, day yeah. and date, and yeah. it did well as you know. So that's that's another one, right? That sequel did well theatrically as well. So it is showing that there is more life. And it seems like obviously this is paralleling the opening up of American cities again, the vaccinations, getting people feeling comfortable getting out there, being in groups, doing things in communal 
groups. I mean, we saw a huge example of that at Bitcoin. All these people just kind of crammed together. No matter. No, it's crazy. The biggest Bitcoin conference ever. We didn't know this right when mm-hmm. we decided that, um, or we were offered to have Screen Heat Miami at the Bitcoin conference. We didn't know it was going to be the biggest Bitcoin conference in history. The ticket started at six hundred dollars. Right. By the time uh, it was time for the conference, the tickets were up to fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. So not, not to mention, if you wanted to be a whale, apparently that that ticket price was close to twenty k. Yeah. Yeah, and they were really out there. I mean, really. Yeah. And they packed in as many booths as they could. It 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 it, it was crazy. So, you know, I have to say that. You know, the times are back. A lot of things have changed. Right. And within the film and entertainment industry, a lot has changed. But I think adjustments have been made. And, you know, we're just going to see now a gold rush of going into production. Right. It's still a content creator's market. Sure. There's a lot of content that needs to come in to fill in all these spaces. There's other streamers. Boys to uh to launch to, to yeah. launch absolutely and and plus the ones that are the market leaders now including disney plus continuing to mine as we mentioned these ips and create these spin-off movies and series including one of your favorites loki oh man i can't wait yes and i am a big fan of uh tom hiddleston and um you know i've been looking at the teasers exploring as much as i can And I think that this is going to be, you know, quite different than the other offerings. Right. Disney is continuing or Marvel is continuing with their genre, their genre moves. So when you think about their movies, each one of their movies is a genre movie. Right. Iron Man being action and adventure. Right. The first Thor is being fantasy. Ant-Man being uh, for kids. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy being a comedy. Yeah. So when you think about the offerings that they've done in terms of episodic, right? You'll want to think uh, Falcon and the Win- Winter Soldier is more of a drama. Mm-hmm. Loki is more of a comedy. Yeah, and so I'm looking forward to that kind of comedic release. Yes, uh, it, it looks really amazing. And guess what? Six degrees or two degrees of Lucius Baston because he's also in Loki. Oh, yes. And, you know, if we wanted to tease one of our upcoming Bitcoin interviews, we are also going to drop a very popular movie star on you very soon. Yeah. A movie star playing a movie star. So if that gives you any idea who that is, he's one of the many folks, interesting individuals that we met during a very interesting Bitcoin experience. So we hope that you do stay with us as we continue to provide you the best in Miami's entertainment with a global focus all about media, entertainment, the streaming wars, digital, and now maybe a little bit of crypto. Boom. We are back. Yes, sir. And better than ever. This is Screen Heat Miami. I'm JL Martinez. I'm Kevin Sharpley. We'll see you on the next one. Boom. <laughs> Dollar. Dollar.